Good morning, everybody, at the broadcast location here in Lufkin. And everybody joining us at the Nacogdoches location, Iglesia Timber Creek, Dieball Correctional Center, the Duncan Unit, and everybody on our online campus. Come on, church family. Let's welcome one another to church today. So glad to join you all together as we dive back into this series, It's Complicated. Before we go, I just want to say hello to a couple of people, 16 different states, five different countries represented in the first service, and I just want to say hello to Didi that is joining us right now online from Saudi Arabia, and Andrea from Las Vegas. Glad you're part of our church family. My goodness, it's so cool technology, getting the gospel out there and connecting with people way beyond the timber country of East Texas. Let's jump in today, week two of It's Complicated, all right? And let me just start again by giving you a disclaimer, and the truth is there are 100 different kinds of relationships represented from online to our physical locations. There are those of you that are single yet to be married, those that are single because you were already married and it didn't work out. Some of you are married, you wish you weren't married. There are people that are widowed, there are people that are divorced, there are people that are thinking about relationships. You're too young to get married right now. You're, or, or maybe you say, it's, I'm never gonna get married. Regardless of where you are, the goal of this message isn't to talk about marriage. The goal of this message is to communicate the valuable foundational principles of any relationship, whether it be a work relationship, a familial relationship, from siblings to mom and dad to couples, you name it, 100 different kinds of relationships, and here's the deal. There's one Holy Spirit. And even though you may be in a life season that's different from the person in front of you or behind you, uh, you, you have a Holy Spirit that tailors to fit the specifications of God's word to where you are. If you keep an open heart and an open mind, the Holy Spirit tailors the content to teach and guide you in where you need to go. That's where a surrendered palms up heart really comes into effect. I'll also say a disclaimer that there's no quick fixes for a bent or broken relationship. It takes time. What took an hour to topple down to the, to the ground on September 11th of 2001 took 17 years to rebuild the World Trade Centers. What can be bent or broken may happen quick, but the rebuilding takes some time. And the truth is, when instead of you getting here and taking copious notes for your spouse who doesn't happen to be here or that person that you think really, bless God, needs to hear this message, it all starts with you and Jesus. You work, you let Jesus work on you. You work on your relationship with Jesus and from the inside out, the other relationships can be affected. I can tell you this, regardless of where you are and how this relates to you, I have learned this lesson. I'm still learning it because I don't score, I don't bat a thousand on this. I don't score an A plus on this all, all the time. But when, when I'm stacked with enough humility, when I humble myself, I can learn about anything from anyone at any time. And so you may be before marriage thinking about marriage. If you're stacked with enough humility, you can learn today. If you're in the middle of a tough spot, stack yourself with humility, humble yourself before the Lord and he'll be the one to lift you up. In week one, we talked about these layers of critical relationship, these critical foundational layers in every true loving relationship. We called it the marriage cake, not the wedding cake. A wedding cake is done after the wedding. The marriage cake has all these different layers. And if you were with us week one, we talked about all you need in every relationship. All you need is love. And if you were with us week one, you know that's absolutely wrong. That's absolutely false, absolutely stupid. It's absolutely what the culture wants to sell you. All you need 
and it's wrong. Actually, when you really understand building relationships, you understand that it all starts with trust. Trust is the element that answers the question, am I safe? Am I gonna be okay? Trust helps me be careless. It doesn't mean that I care less. It means that I, I don't have to walk on eggshells because of track record and consistency and character and time. Trust is built and it's the foundation of every healthy relationship. If I can build trust, I then am able to learn how to respect. In respect, you have the word re and spec. Spec like spectacles or inspect or expectations. And what respect is, is the simple art of looking back with admiration. See, there's a certain amount of respect that a spouse ought to get just because of the position. There's a certain respect a president ought to receive because of the position. But true, the truest form, the purest form of real respect that builds relationship is based on looking back and seeing the admirable things. Can I tell you that some of us are designed where we love to look back and only look back at the negative things? We tend, isn't it crazy how we tend to remember the things that kind of stung us more than the things that, that helped us? We remember those moments and we look back with negativity or criticism instead of admiration. Respect is built when you look back over a track record of trust and you notice and you speak life towards the admirable qualities. Once we have these two, then we are ready for the foundation of what real relationship looks like. Relationship, it's not in your notes, but you can write these down. It's the merging of effort and interest. Merging of effort and interest. Many people call themselves Christian. But being a Christian isn't going to church. Being a Christian isn't just saying, I know Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus is what Christianity is really about. And relationship is merging effort and interest. So if I'm a Christ follower, it means my own efforts and my own interests are going to merge with Jesus' effort and interest. What he says is most important. What he says to build, what he says to humble, what he says to love, what he says to do, it merges with effort and interest. From there, I begin to build intimacy. Intimacy, into me, see. The mixing of particles from physical intimacy to emotional intimacy, where we're mixing the particles of our own trust, the vision of a family, uh, love, kindness, we're merging together. It's the mixing of particles, intimacy. The two shall become one, and whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Even with divorce, it's really hard to unwind what God has won. What God joins together, let no man separate, it's because even through divorce, you know there's connection. You know there's this, there's this intimacy, this, this joining of particles together that's hardly ever going to be untwined. It, it, it kind of stays with you. And then finally, once we have these elements of trust, respect, relationship, and intimacy, we then begin to understand what love really is is that love isn't a feeling. You don't fall in love like the old show Swiss Family Robinson where they dug a hole and put palm fronds over it and they caught the tiger. You don't just like, whoops, I fell in love. I fooled around and fell in love. No, that's not what love is. Love you put on, love you choose. It's an action. It's a, it's a decision that you make. And watch now, many people in this culture, society is inviting you to get as intimate as possible, as quickly as possible. We glorify one night stands, we glorify chemistry, 
more than we, more than we see trust or respect. So if I feel good, I have this feeling, I'm emotionally, physically attracted. This is, this is what produces a culture of sin nudes. This is what produces a culture of one night stands. This is what develops a culture of, of sexting because we jump right into the intimate pieces because we want love. So it's a shortcut. It's a shortcut to love, but it's not really a shortcut to love. It's a shortcut to trouble. It's a shortcut to a, a toppling relationship. And it all is built on trust. But can I tell you that underneath this, what this is all built on, all of this hope is built on nothing less than who Jesus is. Jesus' righteousness, Jesus, his trust, his perfect, you can trust him perfectly. You can respect what he's done because he's proven it. You can merge your efforts and interest in him because before you were ever even thinking about merging your efforts and interest, he had interest and effort in you. He loves you like no one loves you. You can trust him and be intimate with him. So today, week two, we're gonna continue to build on some of these elements and we're gonna go right to the horse's mouth, the love doctor. We're going to the love guru. And I'm not talking about like the 2002 total movie failure by Mike Myers. I'm talking about the love doctor. You've heard him, I've heard him. You know who the love guru is. Of course, you're thinking the same person I'm thinking, right? Yeah, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood with the love doctor. You know, you wouldn't think of Mr. Rogers as a love doctor. You'd think of him as a children's program. But Fred was deep. He was really, really deep. And here's what he said. He said, life is deep and simple. Life is deep and simple. In fact, when you go and you whittle down and you, you, you boil down the word of God and, and Jesus himself says, if you were gonna build all of a relationship with me on two simple things, it would be this. Love me with everything and love people like that. Love me with everything first. It's the first and greatest commandment and love people like that. That's deep and it's simple. Life is deep and simple, Fred says, but what our society gives us is shallow and complicated. What our culture says is sidetracked. What our culture wants to do is whatever feels good, do that, and it creates a shallow and deeply complicated, intricate, hard-to-follow thing when, if we'll learn to love God with everything, it gives us the capacity to love people with everything. So today's really, 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 really deep question and really, really, really ridiculously simple answer, here it is. You can write it down in your notes. What's the single most important thing you can do for your relationships? The single most important thing, if you can look through all of the books, if you can scroll all through Facebook and get all the opinions of all the experts that are self-proclaimed experts, brett77 at yahoo.com that you are following on the blog. He's 22, he lives in the basement with his parents, but he's an expert. What's the single most important thing you can do for your relationships? Oh, love passionately. Give it everything. Be disciplined. As a matter of fact, for the, the church for a long time taught it this way. Here's what, here's what the church taught. It was a simple acronym and makes sense because it's the acronym, uh, joy, the acrostic joy. Jesus, others, you. 
fall in love with Jesus, be about others, and, and then put yourself third. Can I tell you that that's wrong? The single most important thing you can do for your relationships is get healthy. And it's not wrong that you would put Jesus first, but really the acrostic should turn into an acronym and it should be Jesus, you, others. If you've ever flown anywhere, the ongoing, every beginning of the flight, you've got the safety measures. And they say, if for some reason we all gonna die by a plane crash, the first thing we need to do is if you see the cabin pressure change, there's gonna be some stuff that falls right in front of you. Those are the oxygen masks. The first thing you do is you put the oxygen mask on you. And a parent's like, I gotta take care of my kid. And you're trying to take care of the kid without your own oxygen. You're taking care of Susie and you pass out in their lap. Why? Because you gotta take care of yourself in order to have the capacity to take care of Susie. The single most important thing in your relationship. I'm not talking about physical health, although that may be one of the elements. I'm not talking about just emotional health, although that may be something critical. What I'm talking to you about is this reality of understanding, defining, beginning to drill down deep into what a healthy you really looks like. Healthy you doesn't mean I'm going to get rid of this person in my life, although that might be some indication that you're surrounded with the wrong people, and there's certain ways to deal with if you're surrounded with a, with a spouse, there's a different way to deal with that. If you're surrounded with just friends, there's another way to deal with that. But it may be that the health, getting healthy is thinking about your sphere of influence. That could be, but really we're talking about us getting healthy from the inside out. Let's look at health and unhealth. Some mile markers on the journey to unhealth would be if you are self-absorbed. Many people don't have a litmus test to, to engage. They don't, do a, they don't do a measurement on how self-absorbed am I. But we can be self-absorbed. We can be reactive to emotions versus a healthy way of responding inflexible. Well, that's just the way I am. It's the way my dad was, the way my grandpa was. We're just stubborn. Yeah, okay, that is the way you were and your dad is and your grandpa is, but that doesn't mean that that's the way Christ wants you to be. Just because it happens to be a generational hand-me-down doesn't mean it's like the essence of health in your life. Entitled. Like, I deserve, I deserve to be happy. Why didn't that happen? I did, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to get this because it's, it's coming to me. And if we're not careful, one of the final mile markers is if we deal with all these things and these, this is just the way we are, we can become passive. In other words, we just let life happen to us and we, we, we become apathetic. Do you know that the number one killer of relationships is passivity and apathy? The number one killer of relationships is not an affair. It's apathy, where there's like a, it's kind of a this. I'll show you what apathy looks like, okay? That's what apathy looks like. Your, your spouse is telling you, this is how I feel. And your response, and that's, that's how apathy can kill marriage, how apathy can kill a relationship. On the flip side of this, we see healthy parameters, healthy mile markers on the journey to a healthy you, and that is you have a self-awareness. You, you're aware that you're, you're, the, you're the fast talker in the room. Anybody ever dealt with a fast talker? 
I don't mean fast talking like this. I, I, I mean like they're the first one to speak up every time. You're having a staff meeting. Hey, I got an idea. You're like, here goes Bruce again. You ever have the story topper? You ever know a guy that's got, is the story topper? You say, yeah, the other day I caught, I caught a fish. Oh, let me tell you what I caught the other day. I caught a bad case of the, what, you know, I mean, whatever. Like this, they just catch, you know, they, they, they have the bigger, they're not completely self-aware. They're not self-aware. Becoming self-aware and proactive where instead of you responding to a text in all caps very quickly before thinking about it, you pause, you stop, you ponder, you think, you proactively think through their lens too before you respond and you respond not as an emotional person, but you respond as someone who's proactively thinking through the layers of who I am in Christ, uh, how I'm gonna respond, what's gonna be life-giving, what's gonna be direct and clear, but not gonna be just an emotional response. To be resilient instead of inflexible. 3 Corinthians chapter 3 says, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. And for some of you who don't know the Bible very well, that's a joke. There's no 3 Corinthians. That's just a saying. That's the internet, chapter 3. Being resilient means I'm flexible. Stuff, stuff that, that would break other people, I, I, I can bend. I, I'm, not, I'm not so rigid and inflexible. To be grateful about the little things, let me ask you this question. For those of you, I know watching online, you may not have dealt with this, but for those of you in the timber country of East Texas over the last couple of weeks, how many of you in the last 14 days, all of a sudden, it's surprising how grateful you became with water pressure? Huh? Hallelujah. Let's have a... Whoa! Like you became grateful for just walking into a dadgum room and turning on the lights, bless God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the light came to the world. Like you understood the beauty of something simple, simple. Do you know this is why I think every single one of you at some point should go on a mission trip. It has nothing to, to do with you leading children in a village in Africa to Christ. It has everything to do with you understanding how blessed you are. To have the things that we rely on and build our lives on so, so much on the physical things, the kingdom of this earth versus the kingdom of heaven. And then to not be passive, but be growing, truly Growing, I want to get a little bit better. I want to get a little bit better. I participated in a funeral of an 89-year-old precious woman who's been here in this church for almost 89 of those years. And she was always still growing, calling me at, at 89 saying, I love that message on Sunday. I learned something. Like, like be growing. And the truth is, you, you may think to yourself, yeah, I'm not that resilient, but, but I did marry someone that, that's more flexible than I am. Can I say something to you? Nobody in your life is a shortcut to personal wholeness. Nobody in your life, well, at least my wife is healthy. That ain't gonna matter. Well, my wife eats healthy. That ain't gonna matter in your cholesterol, son. Nobody in your life is a shortcut to personal wholeness. I'm so glad my wife is patient because I got no patience. Well, sh that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not who God's called you. You got to get rid of the myth 
that you have a soulmate in there that completes you. The Bible never talks about soulmate. It talks about the two becoming one. It doesn't mean a half and a half becoming one. It means that one and one equal one. That's not cra- that's crazy math, isn't it? That sounds like common core. That, that, that one and one equals one. Now, what does that mean? That means that one, two becoming one, you can't be whole by someone else. You gotta be whole on your own, but those two becoming one is like, have you ever watched a basketball team that it was five people, but it was, it was actually, a, it wasn't a really a team, it was five superstars, and they didn't operate as a team. They just were a bunch of superstars. They each wanted the ball. But there's something powerful about a group of five that become one unit, that play as one. They're all different, they have different posts, they do different things, but what? They, they operate as one. They merge their effort and their interest and their focus. That's what oneness looks like. And the truth is nobody is going to be a shortcut to your oneness. Nobody's going to be a shortcut to your wholeness. Jerry McGuire is a liar. He's a liar. He says to Dorothy, you complete me. And then she's just as much of an idiot when she says, shut up, you had me at hello. Ladies, can I give you some advice? Don't let anybody have you at hello. Jerry Maguire 2 came out recently and it was six months later and they're already broken up. It was a joke, it didn't really come out, but that's what would have happened. If you try and build a, you can build a rom-com on that, but you can't build life on that. Write it down. If you try to build intimacy with another person before you've gotten whole on your own, I'm telling you, there's a deep search all of us are on and it's for significance. And if we try to find our significance by checking the box of relationship, you really won't find significance. You may find a level of happiness, but happiness fades. If you try to build intimacy before you've gotten whole on your own, here's what happens. And do a little self-inventory today. Every relationship will become an attempt to complete yourself. Well, that would have been nice to know six relationships ago. Can I tell you, I didn't know that either. And you don't know that either. And the truth is, none of us have completely gotten whole before we jump into our first relationships. It's simply realizing the grace and mercy of God wherever we are and then chasing after that wholeness versus that happiness that that relationship is trying to, instead of filling the gap with what that relationship can can do, you fill that space and that hole with who God is. And so today, with the rest of the time we have, I wanna drill down on what getting healthy looks like, some practical steps. In fact, I'm just gonna give you three. There's a ton, but I wanna give you three hallmarks of a healthy me. Three, three hallmarks of a healthy me. It comes from the Apostle Paul who writes this letter to the, book, to the church of Ephesians, to the church of Ephesus in prison, Okay, so it's not like he has a cush, comfortable situation going on. He's gotten a lot of things stripped from him. But these three hallmarks of a healthy me, do you know what a hallmark is? Let me back up and say, do you know what a benchmark is? So like a benchmark, if you, let, let's say there's a uh, SAT score, here's the benchmark in order to make it to this 
program or make it to this college. You hit the benchmark or you exceed the benchmark, you qualify. Someone sets a standard and you push to get to that benchmark, okay? That's what society wants you to do on relationships. They wanna set a benchmark of happy, you got the stuff, you own the house, you drive the nice car, you got the money, you're able to go to an all-inclusive sandals, you're able to get, take that cruise, you're able to do all these things and it sets the benchmark of what a fun, good, healthy relationship looks like, right? A hallmark is completely different. And hallmark is a stamp on a precious metal. So a, bra, a, a brick of gold, a plate of gold, will have a stamp identifying, a hallmark that identifies the purity of that metal. So these are three hallmarks of the purity of a healthy me. Not comparing me to anybody else, but working from the inside out. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians, the end of chapter three, the beginning of chapter four. You know, my response, he's in the middle of prison, everybody. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth, and I ask him to strengthen you. You wanna talk about focusing, understanding his own place in God to have the fortitude to be able to be solid in who he was and where he was and trusting God, trust, in order to pray strength for them. He's the one in prison. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. Not, not, a, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. So not something that like comes on you like Samson and ha ah, from the outside in, but in the inside out, there's something that gives you a resolve. And he says, I ask him that with both of your feet planted firmly on love, that you would be able to take in, not, not produce, not not find because you're trying to earn it, but you would simply take in, it already exists, you take it in. With all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out, experience the breadth, test it, test its link, plumb the depths, rise to the height, live full lives. And this society wants to give you a shallow and complicated version of what a full life really looks like. A full life has to be the credit card debt. The full life has to be this relationship that looks like this. The full life has to be this or that or the other. But so what does Paul say? Live full lives. And here's what he says. Full lives are full in the fullness of God, not in what you would do to create the fullness and the satisfaction but the fullness of who God is in you. So what is, this, what is this hallmark? Here's the first one. A hallmark of a healthy me is you knowing profound significance. Every one of us are on a journey to significance. We try to find it in all kinds of things, but profound, deep, true, unadulterated, purest of, purest significance comes from who God is, his fullness, and who God says you are. Because without it, I will always deal with insecurity. We have Christians walking around insecure because you built your relationship on doing things for God instead of receiving who God is and starting from that starting point. Let me tell you, I grew up with incredible parents an incredible mom and dad who loved God, never pushed ministry on me, although they were in ministry. 
Just the other day, I got to celebrate my brother and my sister and my brother-in-law all being ordained ministers. So myself, my brother, my sister, my mom, and my dad, all five of us are all ordained ministers, all pastoring in different churches. Crazy, a couple Easter's ago, the attendance in our three churches was a larger attendance than the first two cities my mom and dad pastored in. More people in our church services than the whole city where my mom and dad pastored. And that wasn't a competition with them, that was a victory for them. What I'm saying is they raised some good kids and we could have definitely like done our own thing, but I'm thankful for the heritage. But let me tell you what also my mom and dad would say. They missed it on the significance part. Do you know that God comes full of grace and truth? Grace first and then truth. But they kind of built it because that's what only they knew from their own parents. They built us to be all about the truth and there was not a lot of grace. The train runs on two tracks, grace and truth. But it was like, God's gonna be mad at you. God's gonna know, God's, God's gonna be upset. You better not, you know, gonna go to hell for that. And although there is some truth, we didn't understand the grace of God. Sitting around a table for a few months ago, all of us at my mom's 60th birthday, we wept together, talking about the importance of how do we now, seemingly in a culture where it's all grace and very little truth, how do we make sure we can give both? Because this, this culture wants to just wipe everything away with a bunch of grace and not live in truth. The truth of God's word is the final authority for our life. So we were, we were saying, you were great parents, but how do we offset this? How do we live with conviction but not condemnation? And so what happened, you know what happened? I started building my significance based on what I could do to make sure God wasn't mad. Make sure what, 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 I, what I did to make sure that, that people felt like I was a, a good Christian boy. And that produced some, some holes in my theology, produced some holes in my heart. And that's why if you think, if you come here and say, man, we're a whole lot about grace here, good, good, good. Because grace is what sets the tone for truth. Truth doesn't set the tone for grace. Grace sets the tone for truth. He comes with grace and in truth. When the woman is thrown, caught in the act of adultery, thrown in front of Jesus, and all his bystanders are saying, what are you going to do? The book of the Bible, the book of Moses says, stoner, what do you do, say Jesus? And they're all excited. And he says, let him with no sin cast the first stone. Grace, grace and truth. Then she's got her hands over her head and her head down, and they all walk away. And he says, hey, where are your accusers? She says, nowhere. He says, I'm not condemning you either, grace. Now, now go and live right. Truth. Grace and truth. Without that profound significance, I'm insecure. So let's listen to this country song as we close today. <laughs> this ain't the Academy Awards. Somebody's trying to, somebody's trying to sing me off like the Academy Awards today. Without it, I'm insecure, but I don't earn it, I experience it. 
You gotta stop trying to earn the love of God. You have it. You have it. Embrace it. Receive it. It's there. Take it. It's deep. It's wide. Test it. It's strong. It's powerful. It's the greatest. You've gotta know you are not what you have tried to earn. You are who he says you are, a son or daughter of the king. Now walk in that authority. Walk in that kindness. Walk in that truth. Walk in that adoption. Stop living like an orphan. Some of you, you've been adopted, you're still acting like an orphan. Do you know how many kids have struggled with that in the foster care system? Not being able to trust because they're afraid. When is this, when is this parent going to make me go, the, go away too? And so it's hard for them to even unpack a suitcase when they've gone from one little place to the next because they don't understand. They're still thinking like a foster kid. There's something powerful when a foster child understands you ain't going nowhere. My baby, some, maybe you felt like you weren't owned by anybody, but you are ours. You're my baby. You are our son. You are our daughter. And that's how Jesus sees you. But he can't make you think like an adopted son or daughter. You got to choose that. You got to experience that. Paul says, reach out and experience it. Embrace it. So what's your one next step? What's the one next step that you could do Right now, a handlebar for this spiritual thing, a practical thing. You and I got to tune into your self-talk. Since you could form thoughts that you can remember, you have self-talk. You have an internal tape recorder like the FBI listening in on the mafia. You, you have a white unmarked van in your mind that's got the tapes spinning and recording at all times. Now, let me give you an example of self-talk, self-assumption. It's happening all the time. Let's say you're <clears throat> on, a, on a bus in a big city downtown, and, right be, and, and there's other people on the bus, and right before the bus comes to a stop, a woman says something and slaps the man she's sitting next to. The bus stops, she gets up, puts her purse on her shoulder, walks out. There is a middle-aged man, a teenage boy, a scared woman, and an excited woman. They all think in different things, exact same situation. Middle-aged man says to himself, he's, he's lost her forever. I don't know what she did. I don't know what he did, but he has lost her. Ugh. The teenage boy's like, dang, that's embarrassing. She just like straight up put him in his place. I hope I never deal with that. There's another woman scared. Dear God, she's going to pay for that when he gets home tonight. She's going to pay for that. She should have never have done that. And there's an excited woman. He got what he got coming. Uh. You are formulating your own opinion right now. What would you think? How would you respond? If that, if that, was, my, if, if that was my wife and she slapped me, oh, I know you didn't. But here's the deal. You don't even know if they're married. You don't even know if they've met each other. You don't even know what happened. She could be mentally insane just slapping people. He could have said, you know, hey, looking good, nice, you know, whatever. Purse, <laughs> I don't know. 
got offended, whatever, we don't know, but we love to try and make sense of things and how easily when we have no investment, our emotions are still running. It's like Tommy and Tina in in, in high school. Tommy wants to, to ask Tina out. He's trying to get the nerve, but he never does it because in his mind, he's thinking she would never go out with a guy like me. It may be, see, could he adjust his self-talk to, I wonder if she likes to go out. I wonder if she has a boyfriend. I wonder if there's anything in her life that I could add value to and start a relationship by just being friends. Instead, she would never go out with me. Look, I I grew up dealing with significance. I was the shortest one in the class because I had a growth hormone deficiency. Sixth grade, three foot six, 72 pounds. Tiny, tiny, tiny. Up until third grade, my left eye was crossed in. 100% blind in my left eye. My, something in my pituitary gland and my optic nerves coming around there. It, the pituitary gland and the left eye got jacked up. So I'm complete 100% blind in my left eye. It crossed in. So like, I'm just gonna tell you like, <laughs> cross-eyed, three foot six, lady killer, okay? Lady killer. I'd look at those girls, what's up, Megan, bonus. And she'd be like, are you looking at me? Are you looking at... (laughs) So what happened? Because of those things that everybody else had that I didn't have, um, being picked last, what would be my self-talk if I'm being picked last at the the kickball at recess? All of a sudden, you you gotta earn your place at the table Harder. You got to do different things. You got to be a performer. You've got to, you, you got to find a way to show your significance somewhere else. We moved to a new city in third grade. And uh, at third grade, the teacher, teachers, please don't ever do this to your kids. They said, we have a new kid on the block because new kids on the block was really popular then. We got a new kid on the block, hang tough. And they played the music and they said, Jeremy, come up here in front of the class. Mrs. Hoskins, and tell us some things about yourself. Now, I'm already cross-eyed and short, intimidated, crazy insecure. So what do I do? I step up, and I make up whatever the heck I can think of first. Here's what I say. I'm a black belt in karate. (laughs) I hadn't had one karate. But I had watched the karate kid a dozen times, you know. Black belt and karate, and here's what Anthony in the back said, show us a move, and you know what my response was? My sensei won't allow it. (laughs) I kid you not. (laughs) My sensei won't allow it. What an idiot. (laughs) Andrea Jurgison was one of my friends who went to our church because we moved to that place because my dad became a pastor there, and that Sunday, Andrea was in our church and in my class, and she came up to my dad and said, hey, Jeremy told us he's a black belt in karate. And he said, really? He said, yeah, that's pretty cool. He said, I had no idea. <laughs> and dad, parents don't do this either. My dad made me go back and tell everybody I lied. <laughs> then I had to just start kicking everybody's butt at recess to prove myself. No, I'm kidding. I had to become a tetherball champion. That's what I had to do. Anyway, what am I talking about? I'm, I'm off. I'm way off. Tune into your self-talk. My talk at the front of the third grade class is... They're not going to accept you. Do something, say something that they'll accept you. 
And just like that, it's not being a black belt in karate, but it's putting up a front at the business party. It's not being willing to speak the whole truth at the conference table. And it has nothing to do with the situation. It has everything to do with your own significance and your own internal self-talk. The words that most aptly describe your internal dialogue, would they be positive and upbeat about yourself? And some people are that way, and that's okay. That's good. <laughs> I need to be more like that. Neutral and on the fence, you, you haven't really thought about it much. I can tell you, you have a tape recorder inside. You have it on play right now. Could it be negative and critical? You're negative and critical of yourself. I'll never do that. I could never have done that. Why didn't I do that? Do you know that 77% of the average person's self-talk is negative? So here's what's happening. God is speaking over you. This is the importance of reading the word of God. You don't read the word of God because a good Christian reads the word of God. You read the word of God because he says the truth about you. And you need to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Your pathological inner critic is incredibly toxic to your relationships. Because here's what happens. The more you're critical of yourself, the more every little thing that someone else says, you take it as criticism, and it's this dangerous loop of defense mechanism. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm guilty. Is that okay to say? Are, are, can we be real in the house? I can be guilty. Blaise Pascal says it like this. There is an infinite abyss in the heart of each of us that can be filled only by God. They're not gonna complete you. That's God's job. That's God's job. So the Apostle Paul says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. Okay, while I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk, better yet, run. Feet firmly planted in, the, in, in love, now get out and do something about it. You can't just let go and let God. You let go and you let God and then you go. You like are part of it. He says, get back, walk, better yet, run, but here's what you don't do. You don't run straight into a brick wall of everything culture says for you to do. You run on the road God called you to travel. Psalm 23 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness righteousness, rightness for his name's sake. There are, this is why we need to know the word of God too, our own significance, but also he has a pathway to follow. It's a better path than the path you carve out for yourself. We like sheep like to carve out our own paths and we get up into the tall grass, we get bit by snakes, we get all the stuff, we get in trouble. The coyotes and the wolves, they like to hide in the large grass, but he develops for me a path of righteousness. He says, I don't want you sitting around on your hands. I don't want you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And that's where some of you have ended up. You started a relationship and now you're like, oh, I guess the only thing left to do is get married. Do you know we did this survey and we asked what would be some advice you would give your younger self? Oh, listen to me. I thought this was profound. You don't have to say yes if they ask you to marry them. You don't have to say yes. I thought that was profound. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we end up being with someone for a year 
And then we just assume that the next logical step is a deeper relationship and marriage. And we take the ring, we say yes, but in, the, in our heart, we haven't truly found that profound significance. And we're now strolling off some path somewhere without truly knowing that we know that this is where we need to head. So what does that mean? What is that? That is a hallmark called unswerving authenticity. Because here's the deal. If I don't have unswerving authenticity without it, I'm phony. So I say, oh, yes. And I look at the ring, yes. But in my heart, I'm going, ah! But I don't want to let anybody down because I feel significance here. So if I say no, then what's that going to do and how are they going to feel? And his mom is going to be so upset. Without it, I'm phony. But you know what? When I have unswerving authenticity and I'm true to who God is calling me to be, if that's my number one relationship, all of a sudden with it, I have the cure for the disease to please. And every single one of you, you have been, you, you got it. You got the disease to please, to make people happy, including yourself. So what's the one next handlebar step that you and I could take? Here it is. Uncover your blind spots. You know that you have some dumb spots. You got some deaf spots. You got some hot spots, like a dog is like, oh, that drives me crazy. You also got some blind spots, stuff that you don't see. And you got to uncover your blind spots. Here's three out of the million. First one, our dark side. For every positive thing, for every strength and the height of a light of a lighthouse that casts light on the rocks in the ocean, that light, that same lighthouse has a dark side. That same lighthouse casts a shadow. So if you're a driven person, if you're a detailed person, if you're someone who's a planner, that's a beautiful quality. What could be the dark side of that? The dark side could be that if you have friends that are spontaneous, that you would actually diminish the value they bring in spontaneity because you want everything organized. Everything's gotta have its place and a place for everything and you will miss out on these interruptions of life. There are more opportunities, but you call them interruptions. So having a spontaneity, that could be a, a dark side. Someone who is emotionally engaged and feels, that's beautiful. If you're not careful, the dark side of that could be your emotions will lie to you. You will feel things that aren't right if, if, you don't, if you don't figure out how to navigate through profound significance and unswerving authenticity, how God can help you identify those emotions. Our dark side, our limits. Not everybody's designed to have 150 best friends. You gotta have limits. Limits to your finances, limits to your relationships, limits to your words, limits. And a blind spot can be living beyond your limits. Here's another one, our ego. Which can I tell you an easy way to remember what ego is? Ego is E-G-O. Lego my ego. No, it's not a waffle, it's this. E-G-O, edging God out. God is on the throne and you know what ego does? Ego sits down on the, on the, on the armrest of the throne and kind of does this with God. <laughs> and I'm not dancing, although if you, <clears throat> you just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a Red Bull in between services. <laughs> Blame it on the Red Bull, okay? <laughs> you edge God out. I wanna be on the throne. 
And so Paul says, you can't be doing this. You can't be edging God out. You can't be doing all this. You gotta run the course he's done it. And you gotta mark that you do this with humility and discipline, step by step, inch by inch, not in fits and starts. And that's how a lot of us like to live in fits and starts and fits and starts. That's New Year's resolutions, but steadily, steadily. Commitment gets me to the starting line. Consistency gets me to the finish line. So steadily, consistent with your commitment. And he gives us three things. He says, you gotta do this steadily. Pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Every one of us have a desire for someone to pour themselves into us. But he says, you really wanna know? Pour yourself out. It's a trust thing, it's a faith thing, because if I pour myself out, what guarantee do I have that someone will pour themselves back into me? It's a trust thing. That's significance because now you're expecting them to fill you up. Jesus says he'll be the one to give you what you need. So you can trust him. If you're looking for pouring yourself out in love, but you're expecting your husband to do the same, you have put your significance in whether your husband will reciprocate or not, not in that God, before you were even, before you ever got anything right, he poured out all his love for you. Do you see the importance of profound significance? Pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Be alert at noticing differences, seeing that we are different. We respond different ways. They are more quiet. They don't have to be loud like me. Do you know employers do this all the time? They are the one that kind of thinks quick on their feet and they're interviewing someone and someone thinks quick on their feet and all of a sudden they give them a job to do, but they realize they cannot build a team. They've got a terrible attitude. All of a sudden they quickly gave responsibility to something that they noticed, but they weren't alert at noticing the differences of maybe the team needs something different than what you like. Maybe it needs a, another balanced approach. Be alert at noticing differences and be quick at mending fences. Be quick at mending fences. Listen, I, I, would, never, I would never violate someone's trust. I, I, just got a, I just got a letter just the other day, a signed letter. And they said they had, they had been contemplating talking to me about this for a year. It was a, it was a wound. It was a hurt. It was a concern. For a year. I want you to know if you wait a year, that thing going to build to something bigger than what it originally was. I don't care what it is. I don't care who it is. If you wait on a relationship that feels strained because of something that was said at the party in 2019 and it's 2021, you, you, you're not mending fences anymore. You're having to go to the ER. What's easier? What's easier to build a hospital or build a fence? A fence. It's easier to build a fence. I like what Dale Carnegie said, and I'm wrapping up. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. This is a challenge at Timber Creek Church. If you've said this, there's no condemnation because I get it, I get it. Uh, I was intimidated to go to that church because it's so big. Well, you weren't intimidated to go to Walmart or Dallas Cowboys game. But your expectations are different at Walmart. You're not there to build relationships. You're there to get the peanut butter. You're not, you're not there at, the, at, at Cowboys Stadium to build relationships. You're there to watch them lose again. <laughs> I love the Cowboys. Shut up. Don't hate. What I'm saying is many times your expectation when you go into a church are people going to be interested in me. Let me tell you who always get connected at Timber Creek. 
the people that focus on being interested in others and engaging will always find more relationships than those sitting waiting for someone to notice them. Now we wanna notice you, but I promise you, you will make more relationships at work, in family, at church, when you take on the expectation, I'm going to be interested in other people. Do you know what that is? That is self-giving love. The more you're poured out, the more you receive. It is a giving and receiving, a sowing and reaping principle. Because without it, write it down, without it, I'm indifferent. I'm kind of stagnant. But with it, with this self-giving love, with it, I'm filled with value because I have poured out value. This is the crazy, supernatural kingdom of heaven at work. That the more I give, the more I receive, the culture won't tell you that. But they are shallow and complicated. But as I invest, as I plant seed, I get more in return. I can't eat my seed. i got to plant the seed. If I plant the seed, I'll produce a crop. And then I'll be good with the crop. And then I'll plant some more seed. That's the truth with value. If I value value people. It's amazing the kind of value that's poured back on me. But if we wait to just receive instead of us being self-givers of love, that's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did. Don't you see? God didn't wait for you to get everything together while you were still sinners. He scooped up the most valuable treasure in heaven and poured it out on you. Self-giving love. That is good. Two people clapping. That's good, Pastor Jerry. That's good. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Golly. Jeez. Not my 30s anymore. One next step. One next step. You got to move from how am I doing. Move to how are they doing. Okay, now, now listen, here's what this means. Someone goes on a vacation to Cabo and when they get back, you ask them, you, 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 you ask them, how was your trip? And they say, oh my goodness, the, the food, the hotel, the experience was so refreshing, so great. You know, we had, and you say, well, I'm glad you had a good time. Our pipes busted, it was five degrees, this happened, and you won't even believe what my kids did, and and especially my senior in high school, OMG. You don't really care about Cabo, you're looking for a way to talk about yourself. Now, that comes with self-awareness, but many times in relationships and in conversations, you, the the iOS of of your heart and your mind, you're thinking about you. You're thinking about how you respond, how you feel, how you are. And if we can shift this thing of being significant in who God is, because why do I talk about that? Why do I say all the things about the broken pipes and this and this? Why do people get on Facebook and say, I don't even know if life's worth living? Now, sometimes it is a true cry for help, but do you know what it's really most of the time? It's a cry for, please show me that I'm significant because they haven't found the profound significance in God they're finding the profound significance in comments. No, girl, you're good. Dude, you got, hey, let, let's hang out. Like there's, there's a cry for help, but there's also a, a, a valley, a, a, a hole. Can I, can I preach honestly today or not? Right? Okay. So I'm finishing up. I'm fishing, finishing up. Let, let me just say it this way. We've all heard people criticize for talking too much. Have you ever heard someone criticize for listening too much? 
You, you, may have, you may have had someone criticize because they keep it all to themselves. Have you ever heard someone criticize for being generous? Actually, you have. In the Bible, the woman pours out the perfume on Jesus' feet and Judas himself says, should have given that to the poor. People are gonna criticize you. You gotta know your significance. So with all this, where do I start? Where do I start? Do I start with the self-talk? Do I start with the blind spots? Do I start with the whole, how are you doing versus how am I doing? And isn't it just like the enemy to take a very important piece of how are you doing and it become this nonchalant buzz statement that means jack squat. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, how you doing? Good, good. No, you're not. No, you're not. Maybe you are, but probably you're not. And that's, that's the element of how you doing. Like we gotta, get, we gotta get down deeper into these relationships to build that respect and intimacy in a different way. Where do you start? You start where Paul said. Start with both feet planted firmly on love. All you need is love? Well, really, it is true. Because when the Apostle Paul writes the love chapter, it's posted in baby nurseries, it's, it's spoken and quoted at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud. Does that describe your love that you give? Love doesn't dishonor others. I mean, regardless if you believe in their politics or not. Well, I guess, I guess you can dishonor other people if you don't agree with them politically. That's gotta be somewhere in the Bible, right? That was tongue in cheek, okay? <laughs> Love is not self-seeking. Love isn't easily angered. The further I get into this list, the more I realize I don't add up as much as I'd like. He, he goes on, love, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And here's the deal about that. That's a little depressing for me because I'm not always patient and I'm not always kind and I have envied and I have kept a record of wrongs and sometimes I like to delight in the stuff that would be evil instead of rejoicing with the truth because sometimes the truth isn't as fun as the evil is and love always protects. Well, I haven't always been protective. I've said things that, that would damage my, my, the emotions of my of my wife, I didn't protect her. I actually kind of got that last word in edgewise. And love always trusts, love always hopes. I don't always hope. And love never fails. I failed a time or two. So you got to know that love isn't what you're looking for. Love isn't what someone else will complete in you on this earth. Love isn't a thing. Love is a person. And it's not your spouse. And it's not a significant other. It's God. God is love. So when we read this personification of love, love is patient. <laughs> the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, he is actually very, 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 very patient with you. That while you're still sinners, he dies for you. He's patient that you would come to repentance so that he can give you life. Love is patient because God is patient. Love is kind, not because you're kind, because Jesus is kind. It is his kindness, the Bible says in Romans, that leads us to repentance. Love is not self-seeking, but I love to seek out my own interests. And yet Jesus, he on the cross, uh, before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, take this cup from me. 
not because of my own interest, but because of your interest, not because of my will, but your will be done. Love doesn't keep records of wrongs on the cross. The first words out of his mouth, having been nailed to wood by a trio of nails, he says, Father, forgive them. He doesn't say burn them up. He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He doesn't keep a record wrong. He says to the common criminal next to him today, oh, I know what you did last week, but today you can be with me in paradise. Love always protects. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Love always perseveres. When Jesus is on the cross, he doesn't end with Father, uh, Father, forgive them. He commits his spirit, but he says it is finished. The word means to tell us die. It means it's done, it's signed, it's paid off. The debt is paid, it's done, it's finished, and he persevered for you because you can't persevere enough. You can't do enough. Love never fails. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. So if you try to build intimacy with another person before you've gotten whole on your own, Every relationship will become an attempt to complete yourself. So here's what you do. You realize there's no way you will ever get whole on your own because he's the one that's whole. He's the one that makes up the difference of our unwholesomeness, our, our spaces of insecurity, our lack our emotions that go awry, he's perfect because you aren't. He's holy. And so you're holy because he says you're holy, not because you are holy, because he says you are. His relationship will complete you. Lean into that today. I know, I know it may sound complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Let's pray. Jesus, wherever we are, we want to love you with everything. With every head bowed and every eye closed at all of our locations, everybody watching us online, maybe you're here. And frankly, you got to deal with you and God. You came thinking about your relationships outside, but this is more about you and Jesus. And if you've never invited him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you don't even know, you don't even know, need to know the next steps. You just need to admit, I need a savior. I, I don't wanna be the God of my own life. I want him to be my God. And for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, you realize I'm kind of living my own life, doing it my own way, my own thing. And I'd like to surrender to his way, his thing, his significance, his authenticity becomes mine. And if that's you, and you say for the first time or the first time in a while, I need to invite Jesus to be the center of my life every location right now, no hesitation, just put a hand up in the air and then you can put it down. Just put a hand right up in the air and you can put it down. Yeah, 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 several hands, several hands, several hands. You can put your hands down. Whether you raise your hand or not doesn't really make as much difference as your heart posture. And in your own words, whether silently or out loud, you'd say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. Thank you for not being mad at me but for loving me so deep that you would give me this moment to make things right with you. You are who you say you are. 
I wanna find my significance in you. I don't even know what tomorrow looks like, but I'm gonna put my hope and trust in you first. And now let's shift the prayer to those that are in the rooms that if you're being honest, I'm being honest, there's some areas of health that I need to work on, whether it's significance or the inner talk or maybe the, the, the blind spots. If you've got an area, say, oh, Jesus, will you help me with that? Would you just put a hand up in the air? Jesus, will you help me with that? Because I need help. Yeah. Me too. Both hands up, really. And Father, I pray over my friends. I pray over this church, those that I've met, those that I've yet to meet. And as their pastor, I pray Number one, I, I pray that there be no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That if they're feeling shame, they would remember that you bore all the shame on the cross. They don't need to walk in shame. If they feel guilt, well, there's something about giving that to you and being freed and being forgiven. But may they not walk in that guilt and shame. May we step into significance and unswerving authenticity. May we find other people to pour out love because that's how you've promised it will be poured out back onto us as we trust you for it. And Father, we thank you that you are building relationships. We thank you that you are nurturing people. We thank you that we are not what society calls us. We are not what mom and dad said or didn't say. We are who you say we are. We can do what you say we can do. We lean into you, not our own understanding. Our greatest relationship on this earth is with you, the son of the living God. We give everything to you and we trust you. You're gonna do the right thing. You're gonna say the right thing and you're gonna help us become the right people you've called us to be. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen.